visiting with us, you're our honored guest. We welcome those who are joining us online and those who are joining us through the telephone ministry. If you have your uh, songbooks there close to you, why don't you turn to number 432. Brother Ken will be leading us in How Shall the Young Secure Their Hearts in just a moment. I have a few announcements about those that are sick or recovering. Brenda Dawson continues in the uh, Tupelo Hospital following surgery. She is scheduled to be released to home Friday. We'll be taking meals to the Dawson's beginning Monday. If you would like to provide a meal, please see the list in the foyer or call the church office. Bob Floyd had surgery this week uh, for a broken ankle. He is at home and will be immobile for some time. Brother J.T. Beard and Adrian Edge are both recovering at home following surgery. Our sister Claudia Scarborough is recovering at home following a hiking accident last week. Uh, she's uh, trying to get five vertebrae with cracks in them to heal. We need to keep her in our prayers. Remember that uh, we are showering baby Parker Pounds, soon to be born to Evan and Tory Pounds, with a gift table uh, that is set up in the foyer. The food pantry item for this week is self-rising flour. Uh, change the dates of the next uh, food pantry and clothes closet in your bulletin. It's going to be this next Thursday, October 10th, and then the following Thursday, October 17th. We have a busy Sunday coming up. Remember our outdoor worship service this Sunday morning at 8.30 in the south parking lot, and you may sit in your car or bring long chairs to sit in the yard. At 2 o'clock in front of the church building will be the life chain. You can pick up uh, your signs at the tax starting at 1.30. Our Sunday Bible classes will start this Sunday at 5 p.m. That's for nursery through adults. There will be an indoor class taught by Stephen Hodgen on the study of God's Word based on uh, Psalm 119 and an outdoor class at the same location as the outdoor worship service on, taught by Ken Forrest on Love One Another. The Lord's Supper will be offered on Sunday afternoon following the uh, class. It will be offered in the little chapel for those who did not have an opportunity on Sunday morning. And you'll be picking up and uh, are delivering your children to class and picking them up the same way we do tonight or on Wednesday nights. And then all our worship services and classes uh, will move inside the building starting in November. And now, Brother Ken. That was a lot to take in, wasn't it? A lot of things beginning to gear up again. I'm, I'm excited about all of that. And I hope that you are too, and that you'll make plans to participate in all of these activities as you are able. 432, we'll sing this 
sing the first and last verse, I guess. And after that, we'll have a prayer, and then we'll begin our Bible study together. Thank you so much for being here. 432. How shall Thank you for the blessing of a beautiful day today. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to assemble here and to participate in a study of your word. I pray, Lord, that you will help us as we are striving to be a great church, empowered by you and instructed by you. Help us, Lord, to have open hearts that we can be able to put into practice the things that we learn from your scriptures. I pray especially tonight, Lord, that you will help us to be a people who participate in great study, that we take advantage of these opportunities that are offered us to be able to meditate upon your word, to be challenged by the things that we find there, and then, Lord, to have been exposed to information that literally can change our lives. Thank you for the power of that word, and I pray, Lord, that you'll be with me as I try to share the things that I've discovered and be with those who hear these things, that they'll be able to make good use of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk about participating in great study, I can shorten that for you. We're really going to be talking about the importance of the Bible school in the work of the church. Now, I'm not a big statistics person because I know that statistics can be manipulated, but I read this one time and I really stewed over it trying to determine is is this reasonable and actually my I don't have any reason to doubt it, but it is said that 85% of baptisms originate in the Bible school. And so here's how I try to think. How is that possible, 85%? Well, you bring your kids to Bible classes, and, and if you've been a parent who's had children in a Bible school setting... 
really from the time they're able to get into, say, a nursery class until they've reached the age of accountability, then if our Bible school program is really teaching in a progressive, logical sort of way the things that children in their advancing age can accept, then by the time they are of age, one would expect, I guess, that those children over the course of that time would have developed a belief in Jesus and they would recognize the seriousness of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection and they would obey the gospel. And I guess generally speaking, with few exceptions, that, that is our experience. And even for those children that maybe grew up in the church, as we would call it, and they learned a lot, but maybe they didn't come to the age of maturity, or maybe they did, but they never did obey the gospel and eventually left. I've had lots of studies with adults who eventually sought me out because they remember the things that they were taught when they were young. And then, you know, you go into more detail or maybe you fill in some of the void that exists in their understanding. They come to believe the truth at that stage in their life and they obey the gospel. Well, guess what? They also are obeying the gospel really as the result of an early contact with the truth. So I guess, statistically, you could still say, well, that baptism, while there was a gap, it originated in the Bible school. 85%, that's a big number. But when I look at that and then I see how plausible that idea is, I kind of take it a step further. I realize that as the Bible school goes, so goes the church. Wouldn't that make sense? The result is baptisms, and when we obey the gospel, the Lord adds us to the church. So if 85% of folks are being baptized or added to the church as the result originally of a Bible class, then I would say Bible class pretty effective in building and growing the church. It's important. In fact, really, if you think about it, its connection with saved souls, actually, in the grander scheme of things, when you think of a Bible school, you're really thinking of a mechanism by which the Great Commission is being obeyed. Isn't that true? Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and following, He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, I know what we do because I go to a lot of mission forums and I hear that text used to promote world evangelism. And sure, that's a great application because he said to go into all the world. But you do understand that the world doesn't start at our border. The world starts, well, right here. (laughs) Right here. 
So if we're taking the gospel to the whole world, why wouldn't that include our children? It would, wouldn't it? So if I understand the Great Commission, yeah, I want to reach the whole world. I want to go to foreign countries. I understand that. But also, that, that has a reach that is arm's length. The people that I'm in contact with all the time and the people who are most, I guess, amenable to the truth are the little ones. They can learn it without any adulteration from the world under the confines and the the careful attention of parents and Bible class teachers who love them and want to see them grow. And as they grow and they come to maturity and they obey that gospel, then they replicate what happened to them. You know that those early followers who obeyed the gospel were added to the church, had their sins washed away, had been taught, well, then they also became teachers. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 says that there is a time after which we've obeyed the gospel that we ought to become teachers. So I've obeyed the gospel. Someone taught me. Now I have a responsibility, but I'm hoping I don't feel like it's just a responsibility. I hope I feel that I'm so, so grateful to God and so grateful to someone else who taught me that I'm going to do the same for somebody else. So I become a teacher. But then the teacher that you have become now becomes a teacher of teachers. Because when Paul talked to Timothy about this process in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, well, you know the text. He said, the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, here's what you do. Commit these to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. And what we've seen in our study thus far is that the ideas we continue generationally. So that wherever you are, You heard the truth at some point. That was the result of someone else. That person had heard it from someone else. And they had heard it from someone else. And, you know, theoretically, that goes all the way back to the very beginning and that great commission that Jesus gave those apostles. So the continuing of that message goes generation to generation. What is the greatest way to do that? What is the easiest way? Is it not through the work of our local church, and especially through the avenue of the Bible school. In fact, those who were teaching and then making teachers who would teach others, actually, they were doing this everywhere they went, early in the process of the spread of the gospel. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, that text tells us, that daily in the temple and in every house they were teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Now that isn't just one of the apostles who happened to come into town. It wasn't just one or a few of the elders who were there or the deacons over evangelism. It was members of the church who felt the responsibility, who who felt the desire, the yearning, to share the gospel with others. It just seems to me that as hard as evangelism can be, one of, 
one of those avenues that we should never take for granted and that we should do all that we can to support and encourage is the evangelistic work that we do within the local church by means of the Bible school. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And all of us can be a part and party to the salvation of lots of people, about 85%. So I want us to ask this question. What is it that I can do? What can I do if I'm a member of a local church who has a Bible school program? Well, I want to address that question, what can I do, by actually kind of turning it and looking at the components of what we would say is the Bible school and its support. For instance, let's examine for a minute what the Bible school can do all by itself. If we have a Bible school program, what exactly can it do? Well, I want to think about it in terms of its great value, okay? A Bible school is valuable, let's think to the big picture. It's valuable to the kingdom of God. When we have the mindset that we're going to evangelize and teach our own people, we're going to have Bible classes, as was, I guess, advertised a moment ago. We'll start with the cradle roll all the way through the adults. If we're going to do that, then understand that we have a program of teaching that, that is powerful. It's powerful because it's, it's attempting to reach every person, every age. Now, in the midst of that, we have to understand that if a church is going to be great... It's going to have to have a great understanding and knowledge of the Word of God. And that greatness is going to come supplemented by a Bible class. Some teacher has taken it upon themselves to know the Word of God enough to become the means of transmitting that Word in a package that we can understand and accept. It's valuable for the kingdom. I know that the Bible school is valuable say, for every single member. You know that passage from Ephesians chapter 6 that begins at verse 10? He says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God praying always with all supplication and perseverance for all the saints. Okay, so I asked the question, how is it, Ken, that I'm supposed to get what the song calls the panoply of God? You know, how am I going to get all that armament? Well, I could have the mind that, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to dig in, I'm going to dig deep, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to gain all of that for myself. Hey, peace, wonderful, you can do that. But isn't it to our benefit, 
not just to have private study where I'm trying to build those things, but actually to be a part of a group study of individuals who are trying to build those things right along with me, who are there to encourage me. And maybe, maybe questions arise with regard to those various elements. How am I going to work that out on my own? You say, well, Ken, I can just, I can dig through it and work it out. And put, put that elbow grease into it. Well, roll up my sleeves in the Word of God. That's great. But don't neglect the fact that a Bible school setting of of many people coming together, sharing their mind together, meditating upon that word can help not just facilitate the development of those things in our lives, but help to expedite it, to make it happen more quickly. Why would I want that to happen quickly? Well, did you see the setting? You need that armor for a reason. It's because the devil is constantly at war against us. And if I'm, not, if I'm not practically, essentially prepared for that battle, I'm going to become a victim. It's in a Bible school setting that the members find value in the communication of the Word of God. And, you know, as for me, the more I get of that, absolutely the better. I know that a Bible school is valuable for families. Now, here's what I'm going to assume. I hope it's true for you. If it's not, maybe it will become something true for you. But in your home, you have your children, you're raising them. When we talked about the responsibility of parents and the raising of their children, especially their spiritual instruction, you know that parents are responsible to that. And so I'm I'm assuming that in the home... They're going to be those things put into place that are helping your children to grow in their knowledge of God. But here's the thing about a Bible school. This is a time where the children can interact with other children who are also learning the Word of God. And who, in some respects, in the hands of a, a gifted and maybe even a, a trained instructor, uh, instructor can determine whether or not the knowledge of that child is progressing as it ought to. You know, we were thinking just a moment ago when we looked at that statistic, 85% baptisms originate in the Bible school. Well, part of that was the idea that my child's, he's grown up in in this Bible school that the church promotes. And I'm going to expect that by the time they have reached a certain age of maturity, that they're going to be responding to the gospel. Listen, if we have a batch of kids that come along that, that don't, or seem to be ill-prepared, doesn't that signal that something's missing? Something's wrong here. If that's part of an entire curriculum, then there are other people, not, not just a parent who now is, you know, very concerned about the development of their child, but there are other people who are interested, who have an investment in the spiritual growth and maturity of their children. So, there is that benefit from the Bible school that my, you know, my child is not alone. And, and not only that, but it kind of reinforces, I think, what the parents are teaching at home. They hear you say it, and then they come into a Bible class and they hear a teacher that they respect also say it. That just kind of backs up and fortifies the truth, I think. And then the Bible school also, it's valuable to our children. Because as has already been evident, 
If a child is brought up in that environment, they are more likely, I can't guarantee that it will happen, but they are more likely to obey the gospel. And by the way, isn't that, isn't that what we want them to do? We want them to grow spiritually so that when they get to an age of maturity, spiritual maturity, that they will naturally want to obey the gospel. So I'm just thinking that's something that Bible schools can do. Also, let's think for a minute what teachers can do. If anything is, let's just call it the golden key, you know, the thing that just unlocks everything. If there is a golden key to the Bible school, it would be teachers. Maybe this is too broad a statement, but I think at least the biblical facts support it. And that is, Jesus wasn't most known for his miracles. He wasn't most known even for the big one, his love. He wasn't known most for his mercy and his grace. Now, was he all those things and known for them? Absolutely. And if you were going to create a hierarchy of identifiers for Jesus, maybe you would have put love first. I don't know. But the thing that the scriptures talk about the most related to Jesus and the thing the scriptures describe Jesus most with is this word, teacher. Jesus was the teacher. There's an interesting text, and Jesus is the one who speaks this. It's in the book of Luke, chapter 6, and verse 40. Jesus says that a disciple is not above or greater than his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained is like him. Now, Jesus, I believe, was very careful in what he said in that statement. And it's, it's powerful. Here's what a teacher does. I mean, in a vacuum. Now, I know in a setting like this, like, I look in this audience and I see primarily people who've been studying the Bible probably twice as many years as I have, most, most of you, okay? And I, I do not stand up here thinking, boy, I'm going to tell them something. <laughs> it's kind of a fearful thing to stand before mature Christians who've been in the Word of God for a long time. So I do not have the idea that I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you something you've never heard before, and I'm going to blow your mind away. That is, that is not my intent at all. What I'd rather do is share something even that maybe all of us know, and maybe share an application or, or some, some part of that maybe that you did not know. And, and the reason that you take it from that standpoint is a teacher, by definition, is not really a teacher if they don't teach you something. Okay, follow me. You're not really a teacher if you're just telling people stuff they already know. 
you're not making a difference. That's not teaching. If you are a teacher, your goal is to share something with people so that they can learn. Now, you could say, well, yeah, teachers also remind us of things that we've forgotten. Okay, peace. That, then that would be actually what I just said, right? If you've forgotten it and I share that with you and you go, wait a minute, I, I, I'd forgot. Okay, you've been taught, right? Something's been filled back in. So by definition, a teacher shares something that the student didn't know or else learning hasn't taken place. Jesus says, let me tell you something about disciples of mine. No disciple of mine will ever be above me or greater than me. First of all, let's think about it. Why is that? Well, because Jesus didn't even share with us all that he knows, (laughs) you know. He shared with us what we needed to know with regard to our salvation and things related to that. Jesus Jesus knows way more than we will ever be able to grasp about any subject to an infinite detail. But what Jesus says is, okay, even though the disciple, that would be you, will never be above the teacher, the fact is, if you learn what I teach you, you'll be like me. You can't be greater than me, but you can be like me if you will learn what I'm teaching. And then, by extension, if I learn what he teaches and I've learned the fullness of what he taught, then I can share that with somebody as a teacher. Okay, Jesus says, you, as a teacher, if you've perfectly received the things that I have given, then you are a teacher like me. Wow. And to me, that is the monumental, beautiful thing about this text. Jesus says, you're not going to be knowing everything I know, but you can be a teacher like me because you can embody the teachings that I've taught. Uh, Okay, well, what kind of teacher would that be? Well, for one, that would be a teacher who's faithful to the Word of God. In fact, when Paul is introducing himself to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, at verse 3, I mean, this is the very beginning. 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, he says, you teach the doctrine. (laughs) You don't teach something else other than the doctrine. You teach the doctrine. Be faithful, be true to the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and following, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm going to teach the Word that's been revealed. In chapter 4, verse 2, preach the Word. Be, well, be the man who's in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Preach the Word. Not some version of the word, not some adulterated form of the word, not some changed message. Preach the truth. And so, I know, as Jesus was, so if I'm going to be like Jesus, I'm going to be faithful. I'm also going to be accountable. Jesus was accountable to the Father. He received his message from the Father. Teachers are accountable too. In fact, James, in James chapter 3, verse 1, warns people who even think about being teachers. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. 
The sense there is, you know what? Well, in that context, it has to do with the tongue. It says, you better be careful with what you say. You know, if you're a teacher, you're communicating, it's assumed, you're communicating truth. You better be certain that what you say is the truth. You'll be held accountable for that. And understand that people slip with their tongue, so you watch it. And don't let many of you pursue that. Well, why is that? You know, I aspire to be a teacher. Great. Don't just jump in there. Be certain that you have prepared yourself so that you can become that vessel like Jesus to share the truth with somebody else and have the ultimate result of saving their soul. I'm also going to be the kind of person who is committed, just like the Apostle Paul was. When Paul came to the end, he looked back. And he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, beginning of verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not for me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Now, what we gather from that is, Paul says, well, he gets his reward from having done a good job. Well, guess what? He says, that's for you too. With the same caveat, having done a good job, you can expect the same outcome. There's also the sacrificial life. No question about that with regard to Jesus, right? He offered the ultimate sacrifice. But Paul also says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3. And then you and I, if we're going to really be the kind of teacher we need to be, we need to be honest with ourselves in what we teach and then live what we teach. Be an example of the message that you... Nothing worse than for a student to hear you talk about controlling the tongue and then them get on Facebook and see you going crazy. Or hear you say something away from these services somewhere, maybe at a ball game or something, I don't know. But let's be consistent with our life as we're trying to teach others to live their life. Paul said, boy, and this is a scary thought for some, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You follow me as I follow Christ. Wait, wait, I'm a teacher like Jesus. Isn't that our goal? So if I'm a teacher like Jesus, then they ought to be able to imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. Paul had that kind of confidence in Timothy such that he could say to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. When you have time, look over those words and see how challenging of a life of holiness he's really calling for there. It's important that teachers be a part of this that we can trust. I have to watch this clock because I get carried away. Okay, so we've looked, at, we've, we've looked at the Bible school itself and the teacher. You know you can't leave out the parent. So what can parents do? If I'm a parent, what can I do? First of all, if you're a parent, you ought to be absolutely invested in the Bible school program here in Boonville. Thing is, those who came before you, maybe, maybe your parents, they were invested, and you see what happened with you. And so now, if you will be invested in your children, you kind of take the torch from those who 
blazed the trail to begin with, then we're going to see a continuation of a good pattern of Bible instruction, especially for our children. We're going to see them maturing as they ought to spiritually. You, if you're a parent, you need to be invested. And when I say invested, I mean not not just bringing them here, but being a part of the Bible school program, being a teacher in that, or support to it in some way. You're helping to facilitate its success. Parents are important because it is their primary responsibility to train the children. The Bible school is a complement, something you add to the primary instruction, which is God-ordained instruction in the home. Now, we've talked about this before. I'll just remind you. Proverbs 22, verse 6 said, For parents to train up the child in the way he should go when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 7, after they had received the law of Moses and all its accompanying directives, they were told to teach these very things diligently to their children. When they sit in the house, when they walk by the way, when they lie down, when they rise up, be like signs on the hands and frontlets between their eyes. They're going to print, write them on the doorpost of the house and the gate. The Word of God was going to be around those children all the time. Why is that? Because God gave the parents responsibility to train their children. How are we going to do that? Well, I'm going to do it by what I say, the life I live. I'm even going to have that word printed all around the house in case I can't say it or I'm away. I want my children, while they're lying down, rising up and walking away, I want them knowing the Word of God. That is a dedicated, diligent commitment to the instruction of children. Who's primarily responsible among the two parents? It's the father. Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So yeah, be, be zealous, be dedicated to training your children, but don't press them and push on them and have them under your thumb to the extent that you squash them and push all of their spiritual desire out of them. It is a touchy subject, right? I want, I want my children to be instructed. I want them to grow up in the way of the Lord. But I need to be sensitive to them as they're growing up that I not ruin this process. Part of the process is in the home. Part of the process will be that complementary work of other people, like a Bible class teacher. So parents are responsible. Parent, what, what can you do to help facilitate the complementary access? Uh, complimentary part. Well, you can make sure that your kids are present for Bible class. I love seeing attendance rolls where they're all filled up. Everybody's got one of those little gold stars. I just love that because what that tells me is here's a classroom full of children that have parents who really care that their children are being instructed. So make sure your kids are present. Also, make, make sure your kids are rested. Wait, Kim, what do you mean, rested? I mean, you didn't keep them up all night Saturday night, and then they come to Bible class on Sunday morning, they're wiped out, they can't even hardly keep their eyes open. Wait, 
that you know they were going to get some spiritual instruction here Sunday morning? Yes, we did. Well, let's make sure that they are in such a mind as to be able to receive it. Give them a good little breakfast. You know, get those wheels turning so that they can receive the instruction and be able to grow thereby. And also, this is kind of a pet peeve of mine. Let's be sure that we get them there on time. (laughs) Okay, I know. You had a busy morning and it got away from you. You were late. Hey, I get it. We've had those moments. But it doesn't happen every week. Every Look, if you see this is happening to you every single week, then you can change that. Get up earlier. Do something crazy like set your clock back 15 minutes. Something, but understand how important it is. You wouldn't show up for your job late like that very often. You'll pay the price for that. Is not their spiritual, not, let alone your own, but I'm talking about our children right now, is not their spiritual instruction more important than that job that you have to get to? I think it is. Because what's happening to them is going to be for eternity. And oh, not only the kids, if you are one of those Bible class teachers, you be on time too. I've seen it happen more than once. Kids are sitting in their class waiting on the teacher. Again, things happen, but that can't be regular. A teacher ought to be in that Bible class at least 15 minutes ahead of time to greet the kids. Let them know how much you love them. Let them know that it is your pleasure to share God's Word. And then finally, I'm thinking about what you and I can do. I mean just generally every member of this church. What can we do? to help facilitate learning. Well, for one thing, we could get excited about the Bible school program. You know, we could be charged up about it. When you're on Facebook, Facebook, you could talk to your friends about how great the Bible school program here is Boonville. Man, you just wouldn't believe. Hey, here are some pictures of what my kid did. That Bible class teacher probably spent all week cutting out that stuff in order to make that cute little lamb made out of that little cotton ball. Well, how cute. We ought to see that stuff out there instead of of the political mishmash that's out there. Wouldn't that be great? I turn turn on my computer and all I see are happy, smiling faces about great things happening here at Boonville. Let's get on board about that. Let's promote the good things that happen here. And then I'm thinking we need to be involved. We need to be participating. We need to be present for everything that's happening. We need to be invested in what's happening in the church here. Because after all, we're members of this church. We're important parts of what's happening here. Let's encourage one another by our presence. So ultimately, when I think about our responsibilities, I know, and I hope you know, we we can't treat the Bible school program like it's something that doesn't matter. Or that it's just some luxury. You know, we've got it. Boy, that's great. You can't treat it that way. You've got to work, work, work constantly. Got to keep the morale up. You got to be so enthused about it. Can't wait to get to that building. 
because I am going to touch a life for Jesus. You have become a missionary in a, in, in a field that is white for harvest. There is no work that is greater than sharing the gospel with another life. You can accomplish that in a Bible class. There is no reward that is greater than the reward that comes from teaching the gospel to another soul. And that can be accomplished right there in a Bible class. But I'll also say that there is no greater consequence than to neglect something that has the potential to reach 85% success. The consequence of that is horrible, shameful. So let's have the mind, if we're going to be a great church, and we are going to be a great church, right? How many of you want to be a part of a great church? Thank you. I do too. It's going to happen when we take these kinds of things seriously. So if you're, if you're a part of our Bible school program, I'm so glad. If you're not, think about it. Maybe you can't be the teacher, but maybe you can help in some way. Let Stephen know. Let Stephen know, look, man, I, 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 I can help with this. I am convinced it's, it's something I must do. I, I would love it if Stephen had to say, well, listen, we can use you. It's going to be a year and a half now because we've got a backlog of teachers. We have, have a hard time having enough classes for all the teachers we've got. Wouldn't that be great? Amen, Ken. That would be great. Let's have a prayer, and then I'll let you parents go get those little learners of Scripture out there. We'll give you a little cushion, and then after that, we'll all be dismissed. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for your word and for the challenge that you lay before us to, to reap this harvest that is all around us. Thank you for teachers who are dedicated to sharing the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege and opportunity all of us have to be able to share the gospel with somebody. And, and just the privilege for parents who have little humans at their disposal and being able to spend the time with them to share your truth. What a blessing that is. Lord, help us all to be serious about that. And, you know, let, make us all ask this question, what can I do? We'll ask ourselves, what can I do? And then maybe with, with some of the things we talked about tonight, or just by observation, make it so apparent to us what we can do that you'll not, you'll not let us alone about it, that, that we will absolutely become a part of something that will make this church great. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, our parents are dismissed. Give them, I don't know, 20 seconds, and then everybody else can be dismissed.